they really think that like they are here to serve us and it's like no no i think they're here to serve only a certain few people and the rest of us pat our shit out of luck everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Quinn. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. And today we're continuing our At The Movie series with the film adaptation of Angie Thomas's novel, The Hate You Give. Starring Amanda Stedberg and directed by George Tillman Jr. with a screenplay by Audrey Wells, this 2018 movie is nothing short of iconic. Today's quarantine film was chosen by our dear friend, politics scholar, and all-around intelligent badass woman, Brie Korn, who is joining us on the podcast today. Welcome, Brie. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey. (laughs) Before we dig in, we'd like to encourage all of our listeners to donate, sign petitions, and continue to raise awareness for the Black Lives Matter movement. Let's all hold each other accountable to keeping our feet on the gas. Okay, let's get going. So my first question, this is what I asked Pate when she chose Legally Blonde. So Brie, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Why was this your quarantine go-to film? And what about it makes you want to revisit it through a scholarly lens? Um, Well, it's actually part of my summer reading list. So when you asked me to be on the podcast, I kind of looked to my left and there it was like, in a pile of books that I have yet to read, but I'm excited to dig into. Mm -hmm. But I chose this film specifically for the podcast because I think it represents a moment that we're in that has also been a part of a larger movement. So I think um, really understanding what the actors were portraying and understanding the entire message of the film is important for also understanding like what we're doing in today's climate too. Okay, I don't know if any of that made sense. No, that was, keep going. that was great. Thank you. Well, good. I'm glad that you chose it. I cried like a baby the entire time. And honestly, like the ending, I'm sure we'll get to this later on. But that ending, that plot twist ending, which, I mean, spoiler alert, hopefully if you're listening to this, you've read the book or seen the film, because if not, we're going <laughs> to be spilling tea. Um, but that final scene with her little, I guess it wasn't the final scene, but one of the final scenes with her little brother holding the gun and like embodying the oh, two yeah. he is like the spawn of the hate, the hate that you him. do oh, like, yeah I was just thinking about it i thought that it was really beautifully yeah. done i want amandla to win all the oscars and also be president because do you remember that 2017 video that went viral that was don't cash crop my cornrows i forgot mm-hmm. that was her and so I was watching. No, I didn't know that was her. But yeah, I was watching this movie, and I was like, "Wow, so much of this is reminding me of that YouTube video, which like I showed to my parents, and we were all like, "Whoa, like this has completely mind blown." And so seeing her act it out, like having that context, just made me love her in this role even more. Yeah, I feel like I only knew Amanda as Rue from Hunger Games before this movie. So I was I was grateful to see her in this role. Um so I guess just kind of talking about Quinn, you kind of have already touched on this, but just like initial reactions um to the film, particularly um 
thinking about it in this ongoing context uh, that we're living in and what did it provoke for y'all in terms of thinking and emotions? I thought it was like so good. Quinn, like you said, I bawled like a baby. I mean, I cry like almost every movie. I cried when we watched Mrs. America, but of course I'm <laughs> going to cry here. Um, but something I thought interesting, I watched the last half of the movie with um, some of my guy friends last night. And, like, while there were so many, like, powerful moments, there were also some cringy and cheesy, like, teenage, like, movie moments. I don't know if y'all also thought that. So, like, my thought was, like, kind of what's the purpose of having, what's his name, KJ, the guy from Riverdale? Oh, he was so cringy. I just thought this. (laughs) Yes, her boyfriend. I literally kept in my notes, I don't know if y'all saw this, but I literally kept being like, shut up, Chris. I was like, no. I was like, wrong. I mean, I do think it is, he's an important character. Him and Haley are important characters to highlight um, the many ways in which um, what, like, white people and also, like, seemingly white allies, like, mm-hmm. quote, um, fall short. Um, continuously and embody racism. I think that's so much of what we're talking about today is that we need to be actively anti-racist and engage in unlearning. Um, It's not enough to just say I'm not racist, which is what Haley does. And, and same with with Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with Chris, I literally like the first note that I have is when he's like, I made that beat for you. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like I cannot watch this beat. It was a terrible, was an awful beat. beat. And I that thought, reminded yeah. me, like, when he's, like, dancing and, like, all the guys are like, yeah, that's awesome. Nice kicks, bro. <laughs> and, like, her internal monologue is like, I mean, like, I know this is corny, but it's just who he is. It reminded me of a quote from Amanda's 2017 video, which has, like, since circulated really widely, which is, what would America be like if we loved people as much as we love Black culture? And so seeing that scene towards the beginning, I think, really highlighted that, because for white people, performing Blackness is something that's really cool, and, like, engaging in that lexicon and that taking on that slang or taking on the fashion is something that makes them seem like cool and relatable. But then when the time comes, like Star recognizes that she has to be two versions of herself because for herself as a black woman, performing blackness is dangerous. And so like all of these kids want to be like, I made this beat for you. Like, mm, like pass the fried chicken. But like when it comes down to it, they can stop performing that whenever they want to. And for Star, like that's not an option. So although I thought that Chris was like, Truly, I have to close my eyes whenever I think about him because he was so cringeworthy. I'm glad that (laughs) that scene was in there because I was like, yeah, I think that that is a really good illustration of that. And I thought the relationship in general was really interesting. Like she, I felt like she was almost like shamed to like bring him home to Garden Heights or like bring him to meet her family or to like show her the other side of Star. And her entire relationship seemed like she was always on guard or like performing in a sense because it was like he never noticed when people stared at them because she was black like he only like his only focus was her I guess we could say or like their relationship and she was always like very aware of the fact that he was I guess we're calling him an attractive white man dating like a black woman so it was just like really interesting like seeing that dynamic play out 
I will say. I guess he's attractive. I guess. <laughs> I, also, I also appreciate that, like, unless I'm remembering the end incorrectly, but, like, I appreciate that the movie isn't entirely centered around their relationship and like it's not like this end kiss moment at the end and it's like oh all about this relationship which like I'm grateful to see the growth because I think you do see that to a certain extent but also like the movie is about star it's not about Chris and mm-hmm. thank god that, that would be a terrible film that would be a bad movie if it were <laughs> <laughs> be awful yeah but I was and grateful I also think, yeah my issue not my issue with Chris but I always felt like during the movie that I was rooting for Star and Khalil even though like I know he like I don't know spoiler alert again if you have not watched the film he died at the beginning like when he died Mm -hmm. I was like and like it was right after he was like he looked at her and he was like we've got time and it was so like come on like I really thought like yeah you guys have time and they did not well, and I think Wait, that the not. idea of, like, time in this film is so interesting because, like, the pacing of it feels very quick. Like, it all happens within the matters of, like, days, weeks. Like, it feels like you're constantly on your toes. And I kind of liked that because in the beginning, it's like we're watching her through, like, the first few days and it's, like, really slow and paced. Like, especially when she's at Williamson, I feel like that's when the movie, like, kind of breathes and, like, things slow down. And I think that it's kind of, like, a metaphor for, like, if you're a white person existing on this side of town, you have time. Like, you have time to do whatever you want to be doing. Like, your whole life is ahead of you. You're fine. But even for someone like Khalil, who's ambitious and who's loved and has a great community and, like, has this woman that he's like, oh, we do have time, that's not always guaranteed. And it's literally just a transition between, like, neighborhoods. So that was something that I took away that I thought was really powerful. And even in terms of, like, childhood, like, Sakani does not have time, like, for his childhood. Like, that is, like, very much insane. Like, we we hear, we see this through Star as well. Like, her innocence, like, is ripped away from her at a young age because she witnesses this death of her friend at a very young age. And also, like, like having to have this, the, the talk, um... I mean, Sakani has that as a baby. That's, like, something that they've framed the very beginning of the movie with, and I thought that was really powerful, especially along kind of what you're talking about, Quinn, the, the, you have time. There, there is no time. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked the question that we have about code switching, because as I plugged in last week's podcast, Code Switch is an NPR podcast that I've listened to for a while, but it's also obviously the term of, as NPR defines it as, quote, the practice of shifting the languages you use or the way you express yourself in conversations. And I don't know who wrote this question in today's notes. Oh, Nellie, I I loved your question of how does like code switching work in this film? Because I really feel like that is at the center. I mean, we have a lot of conflicts going on. Obviously, a big one externally is Khalil's death and then the entire justice system like having to deal with that but also I was really interested in Star's internal struggle as she kind of has to navigate being two different stars and the way that she code switches not only in the beginning when she like feels safe and comfortable but even as she's having to make as Nellie you said really hard decisions that are essentially robbing herself of her innocence because she has to stand for an entire movement I thought the idea of of code switching was really interesting, and I'd I'd love to hear what y'all thought about that. Well, something, like, I noticed when watching the movie is just, like, the color scheme going on. 
when like stars at her like school and when stars like at home mm-hmm. um in the other neighborhood like i feel like when she's at this school like the background it's very like bluish kind of like harsh and cold um and then like when she's at home there's like more light it's like orange green like things like that i don't know if maybe i'm overthinking it maybe i no one else noticed that but um that's just something that came to mind and i think like that is just like a very like i guess subliminal way to further explain like the feeling of coldness Mm -hmm. and like unwelcoming and like star has to pretend or and like not be her true self there um also something i always noticed is like especially when she was like um leaving school because everyone was going like ditching class to like go protest she always like you know like puts her hood on and like puts her earbuds in almost as if to like drown out the noise and also blend in um and then at the end I think you know you see her and she's just like kind of glowing when she's sitting with her true friend what's her name Maya Mm -hmm. and um Chris and they like dumped Haley like that was the first time you know I felt like you could genuinely see Star's character happy at that school. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like with um, code switching, I think it's really interesting how not only was she performing to it, like very much so performing at Williams, Williamson, but also she like felt like she wasn't Black enough for Garden Heights because she didn't go to the local high school. I thought that was really interesting like the code switch when she was in, like and it was little things like when she went to the like when she went to the party um with I think her name was Keisha mm-hmm. and she was saying that she didn't feel like she belonged at that party either um and just like when she was in the car with Khalil and she was talking to him and she was like I don't know how it came up but she said not inherently and he like mocked her yeah or something just like feeling like you don't necessarily belong in your own community, but like you also like as we see later in the movie, she will fight like she ends up fighting like really hard for the experiences and for like the people in her community. And even when she chooses to go before the grand jury and like speak on like her relationship with Khalil, you see like she the way she tells the story, I think, is like far more eloquent than someone that like than I probably would have been if I'd gone through a trauma like that. So just like code switching in that sense was also really interesting when she had to go from Williamson back to Garden Heights, but then also when she was in front of a jury that like only had like, if I noticed correctly, like two black people on the jury and just like speaking to them about her experience. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, even to to your point, Bree, the code switching in the courtroom scene. That's so true because the like pathos that she was playing into was she was honestly having to humanize him to the jury mm-hmm. and be like here are the things that he loved here are the things that he did because he was not being represented especially in the white media which i think is something that i know that brie and i have talked about because we're both in tennessee so we've seen the way that protests have been portrayed in our communities by predominantly white media and it's like just as you see now, people, the media only wants to report when protests become 
like a little bit dicey. They don't want to talk about the times that it's actually being peaceful, which like either way, report on it. Hello, it's something that's really big that's happening in our culture right now. But in the courtroom scene, it's like, because the white media completely villainized him and removed him from the situation to make him look like he was just a one-size-fits-all person and like caricature of a person, it was then her duty to use language to again, like code switch into using that pathos to make him be seen as someone worthy of like love and respect and humanity, which is so infuriating. Like I cannot imagine being in her position. I mean, and she's like, what, 16 in this film? The amount that she has to carry on her shoulders is insane. And she does it all remarkably well, but that was something that I, I just felt for her. Yeah, and that just reminded me of like, she did do her, I guess we could say due, due diligence and like humanizing him and like really taking on that role, which she, I don't know, I felt like her community put a lot of pressure on her to either speak on his behalf or not speak at all, which I thought was really interesting. Not that I know a lot about gang theory, but like also just like the stronghold that like um, the King Lords had on that community was really interesting. But even if even though Khalil was involved in, like, the gang activity and he was, like, selling drugs, like, I just think, one, it's, despite all of that, like, it's not a police officer's job to also act as executioner on any in any given situation. Mm-hmm. So I just think that it highlights how uncomfortable officers or, like, how poorly trained officers are when they're going into communities that they're not from and that they aren't familiar with, and how quickly things escalate because they feel intimidated or unsure. So I think that's also something worth highlighting in the film, too. Yeah, there's been that, like, circulate, or that tweet circulating that's, like, Mm -hmm. reminder, you're not supposed to kill guilty people either. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the correct quote, so apologies, but I think that that is a really important point or way of making a kind of underlying point that just because someone, like, perhaps is engaging in criminal, quote-unquote, activity, that does not mean that they should be murdered in the streets. It also doesn't even necessarily mean we could get into incarceration. It absolutely does not even mean that they should be going to prison. But the rhetoric that we're seeing, both in this movie, but of course now, and, and we have been seeing, is like, oh, well, like, well, what was he doing? Like, what was, like, what was he, like, the police officer must have had a reason. Like, that's just obviously bullshit and um I also saw this tweet but it was essentially like has someone told them that if you're like if you're just nice like the cops will treat you well and I just think like that is like the fact that like obviously that perspective exists it just for me is like unfathomable that that exists when you are literally seeing like there's video evidence of this which there should not have to be for people to take it seriously but um yeah sorry that was messy but I'm pissed (laughs) and I think that goes into the larger conversation of defunding the police not that I think that's where this movie review needs to go but like just (laughs) go do it do it also speaking on the fact that like this is a traffic stop for him failing to signal and somehow at the end he ended up dead and it's like you don't need a gun to write someone a failure of a signal lane change ticket like you just that did not need to happen yeah. And I think there's a way to de-escalate a situation like that doesn't involve 
an officer shooting like a teenage boy in the street for a hairbrush that he wasn't even entirely sure about so yeah defund the police keep that in there yeah yeah defund the police Like ASMR, literally. PMS. We'll give you some tea. If y'all have questions and you're like, "What the fuck does that?" Hey, you can do the research on your. Plug my Twitter, like at underscore corn b r e underscore corn. Follow me. I tweet all the things, and also I'll answer your questions on DMs. But also, it's very Googleable. Like you can Google all this. Yeah. Kombucha yeah. Girl on TikTok actually had a great video about abolishing and or defunding the police. I don't know if y'all know Kombucha Girl, but... I definitely thought you were talking about Brie for a second because, oh, full disclosure, Brie is Kombucha right now. I was like, <laughs> I have a great idea. <laughs> um, so, moving on to our next question. Um, something that uh, I was kind of thinking about when we were when watching the movie was how like the private school environment portrayed through Williamson is not unlike Swanee and um on previous episodes in this podcast we've thought critically about this institution that we all know and love and love to think critically about and I couldn't help but think about how Williamson falls um short in supporting students of color this environment is what encourages and even forces star to go through the exhaustion of code switching could we think about ways in which swanee falls short um something i was thinking about was that today i think is the first time i've ever heard an administrator say black lives matter outwardly yeah. shout out vice chancellor brigadier we love you but we i love you uncle ruben <laughs> i won't call you that. i won't call you that to your face though no, gotta. <laughs> nothing but respect sir. to me that was like a huge step even today but obviously of course it's his f- first opportunity more or less to do that but in terms of the university as a whole it's a little bit too little too late in my opinion um but i would just love to hear about y'all's uh thoughts on swanee in general education in general um yeah i can speak on that i think swanee along with williamson and what are we calling it in their black lives matter protest or like just their lack of understanding in general can be a really tone deaf space like they really just like it was so unfortunate like i also noticed at the beginning of the film before like she gave her testimony or interview for or her testimony for the grand jury but also before her interview i noticed that she was moving out of the way for like just in order to not call the scene like we see the boy like come like say her shoes are lit or something and then we see her boyfriend like come up to her and play the beat which is also all of that's cringeworthy but then she gets to the cafeteria and she's speaking on the part of how to not cause a scene and to not speak up for herself she like finds herself moving out of the way of the white men that are like cutting her off in line in the cafeteria and things like that so it's just like seeing how other people are feeling entitled in the space and like they're probably not inherently rude people like they're probably the most respectful in situations that like they're interviewing for a job or they're speaking to other people like they're professors or they're like existing in spaces like I just noticed that black women fall so invisible in Williamson and in Swami that people will be really quick to like not see you and it's not and you can tell that it's not like intentional that people are like 
not ignoring you, but just like unaware of your presence. But it's like very obvious that they have never felt like they had to pay attention to you because of your positionality in society. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that's very similar to Williamson and Salami Life. But I'm just speaking from my own like lived experience there. Like that was something that I noticed and it really resonated with me because my freshman year, I found myself like moving out of the way for large groups of men on the sidewalk and like walking in the grass. Now I let them hit me, but like, yeah, before (laughs) then I would like move out of the way. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that that was personal. I think that's something that stuck out to me is cringy Chris is back again when they're in the limo after, I guess it's during Prague. And he's like, I don't see color. And like that I think speaks to not only Swanee, but academia in general and higher education. And hopefully I truly believe I choose to be an optimist in this way because honestly I'm privileged. And so I can like put on those rose colored glasses and see that way. I would like to believe in my heart of hearts that we're moving away from this. But I think that at Swanee and in academia, there's kind of this belief that like, maybe if we don't talk about it, if we're just like, yeah, like that doesn't play into anything. Like we're all like dwelling together in unity. Like I don't care what your skin color is. Like I love stars response, which is like, if you don't see my color, you don't see me. Like that is part of my lived experience and you cannot negate that. I understand where you're coming from and saying that, but at this point it's ignorant to suggest that people don't see color because at the end of the day, as this movie illustrates, Institutions, exactly. Institutions. They will shoot you. Okay. I do not care if you don't see it. They will shoot me. Exactly. Like they clearly see color and they behave on instinct based on color. So to say that still is honestly infuriating. And I think that that's something that it's almost kind of like an unspoken rule in larger communities of like academia as a whole. Yeah. Something that, um, kind of going off the earlier point that you made, Brie, about um, just, like, the protesters at Williamson and, like, the students that weren't really aware of what they were doing necessarily. Like, for me, Quinn and I have talked about this, but I feel like I've been really grappling with my identity as, like, an activist or an ally in, like, the past couple weeks especially, just because I'm, like, I very much so have been able to, like, remove myself from this and, like, it not be... It, it of course not directly affecting me like it's not something that is like a lived experience that I have to be fully like in, in embedded in and if you're not it, like actively engaging in like anti-racism and unlearning then you're not like a true ally is is like that that's kind of what I've been like learning and grappling with and I'm like I don't know that I've ever truly been an ally or an activist and that um I think is good to reconcile with, um, but it's definitely, um, it's hard to watch a movie like this and be able to identify the problematic things that are happening, um, especially with these white peers of Star, and be like, oh, like, yeah, I've done that. Like, not necessarily say the outwardly problematic things that we know Chris and Haley say, but kind of being a bystander to them and also just like not being actively part of the movement um can we pop off about Haley really quickly yeah like, let's I do don't want to 
say I don't want to devote too much time to this woman because she makes me sweaty and is genuinely awful. But I just feel like stresses me out so bad. I'm so glad that she cuts that bitch out at the end. Same. I was gonna feel like Maya. I am saying her Maya, like the the other friend. That's like I think she's such a good like example of what like a bystander that doesn't like help is until the end of course but like for the longest time she's just like you know sitting there not saying anything to hey looking and, and so i think like that's such a good like character representation of like people that are like oh i'm not racist but i'm not anti-racist yeah also when star is star and Haley have the conflict with the hairbrush like and then star walks off like Maya goes to Haley, so you're kind of like, oh, so that's where your loyalty lies. Like, I, like for me, I saw that and I was like, go after Star, go after Star, and then I was like, no, like I was literally so mad, but it was unsurprising. And I do think that I agree with what you're saying, Pete. That that character, while a very much a, a side character, be a B list character, is very important in representation in this film. Yeah, I think Haley was also like. I don't know, like, I want to give, like, Haley more, not, not credit, but, like, more understanding of, like, her introduction before Khalil was even killed was problematic in a sense of, like, mm-hmm. they were sitting in the basketball locker room, and she was, like, as we said, like, embodying Black culture, or, like, I don't even know, like, the way she was speaking, just, like, I know for a fact she would not, she would not, or she might have, but she probably wouldn't have spoken like that if she weren't in front of a black woman, like just trying to like speak to her, like other black women speak to her. Like she was like, girl, what'd he do? I like talking about her boyfriend. She was like, girl, I will fight him for you. Like things like that. And it just seemed like really like unnecessary in a sense. And Star was like, girl, calm down. We are in the middle of this private school. Why are you trying to get loud? Like that's not what we're here for. Relax. So just like that introduction, I feel like I know a lot of Haley's. I just know far too many that I care to know. And that is honestly unfortunate. And it's like not problematic enough to cancel. Not that I, I don't know if I believe in cancel culture, but like there's a spectrum of Haley happening here. And it's just like really exhausting to like weed through the problematic behavior and like dodge it and understand it. And then also like, yeah, it might escalate to a point where like she's outwardly saying like blue lives matter or something but like a lot of the times like the Haley's that you encounter or the Maya's that are really passive are people that like you really have to like spend time around them to like understand like that energy is far more problematic than I have time to like devote to Mm. yeah I was just glad to see her not in the final cut of seeing star at the private school because i was like yeah she ain't make it she had no imagine if they ended the movie and they were like and we forgave Haley. i'd be like no no but But like also the thing is nothing really happened to Haley. like Haley just kind of sit at a different lunch table and that's very true like nothing will ever happen to the Haley's, bro we're just going to keep believing what they believe well brie you brought up a great point that i didn't even think about and i think that it's so true like again, something that really struck me throughout this film is how much is put onto Star to educate the people at her private school when this happens, take on the burden of an entire community and speaking out on Khalil's behalf, 
also dealing with her own internal issues and struggles of like juggling star one and star two they're like and then familiar- also trying not to be killed by the king board in the exactly. community like there's she's there- also fighting the community like that's also a problem exactly like, there's, there's no, familial like, identity there also exactly and so i think that that's a great point about Haley that i did not think about is that that's energy too like when she gets up to leave during the video game scene and she's like i just can't do it and maya's like work it out guys like that is what start to live her trauma and constantly have to explain herself and explain her experience as like on behalf of the entire black community that she exists within and so thinking about Haley, it only makes it it makes it even more infuriating because it's like you're not worth the time. There are so many resources in the world that you can easily educate yourself. And if you genuinely care about this girl that you're like, oh, my fried chicken homegirl, like, then you would take the time to genuinely invest in that person and not put that and I in them. I think I can speak on that for a lot of my friends too. Like pre-George Floyd, I'm like, I don't know. Like I, like may he rest also. I just, I don't know how that like, and I also think it was like the culmination of the fact that like there were so many murders of black people by like, vigilante like self-appointed heroes of the community but then also like by the police and then there was Breonna Taylor Breonna Taylor happened months before George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery so it's just like the way social media and the way that the media in general or maybe it was just the circulation of the video but like pre-George Floyd I found myself in a very similar position of people before it was trendy to be a part of Black Lives Matter or to understand or to learn on Twitter, like, before everyone's platform went from, like, their normal feed to a black square, then, like, all of these resources, like, before that, I think it was really exhausting to explain, like, the case of Freddie Gray and why people were upset, or the case of Sandra Bland, and then just, like, eons back, like, all the way back to Emmett Till, like, it was just, like, and she brings that up when she's speaking to Haley in her house, or in Maya's house, or someone's house. She, like, brings up how people have the option of, un- like, Haley actively chose to unfollow her. Like, that was something that, like, she was like, oh, well, I just don't want to see it. Everyone's not like that. Like, this isn't an institutional problem. It's, like, one or two bad people have contributed to, like, these wrongdoings. So I have the ability to unfollow you and not see it and not pay attention to it because it doesn't interest me or it disinterests me so much that it, like, makes me uncomfortable. So I thought that was interesting too. Um, so like I was saying that I watched the end of the movie last night with some of my friends, my friend Cameron specifically, um, you know, he's very passionate about like everything that's going on and activism and stuff like that. And so he is obviously like was actively posting on Facebook cute? and Instagram. Is he a cute yeah, activist? He's cute. I love a cute activist. Yes, Cameron. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> but I love to hear. Anyway, um, shout out Cameron, like, whoever you are. Keep that <laughs> in, though. Keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> but so, like, he, like, he has uh, grown up in this, like, majority white community and has, like, honestly been, like, a token black friend for so many people. And, like, finally, he's just like, you know what? Like, you know, he's, like, finally speaking it and, like, not holding back, and he said that he has, like, eight to ten people unfollowed him on Instagram. Like, he saw the numbers. And that just, like, that, that is, that, 
I think it's just like speaking to like Star and Haley and like um it's just like like you said I think you know if I had to guess those eight to ten followers were white people who were like I don't want this negativity on my feed or like you know like choosing to actively ignore something that is like an issue that's so great in our country that we can't continue to ignore we need to face head on yeah or they think they're so right like they like honestly and I think that's a real issue and I don't think that they don't think that what they're saying is problematic like they wholeheartedly like ten toes down believe that what they're saying is true they're like how dare you treat those who have served if we want to call it service this really rogue behavior and erotic behavior we're seeing by officers like time and time again they really think that like they are here to serve us and it's like no no, no. I think they're here to serve only a certain few people and the rest of us cut our shit out of luck. So. Yeah, I will say I'm putting Brie on the spot a little bit, and you don't have to talk about this. But there was it. a man popping off on Facebook. Again, just 10 of the things, JK, like, literally everywhere this is happening. Yes, Fox like, News Channel 2. That was simply... Tennessee. Go balls. Um, That was simply... <laughs> and Brie, like, gave, like... A super thoughtful response. It was super long, like walking him through the arguments that he made and breaking them down, which like that is your energy that you are putting in to actively helping this man unlearn his biases. And his response was like, no, like my thoughts are valid. Like clearly you've never experienced racism. Like blah, blah, blah. Yes. It was crazy. I forgot. I like blacked out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, nuts. Oh, anyway, let me, let me find it. It'll be so quick to find. I took screenshots, you guys. It was please, quite interesting. this man. So it got really uncomfortable for this man because he <laughs> basically said, or no, 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 he reposted a photo and it was just like really problematic. It was like, I bet they won't burn. And they, like, we knew the day they were talking about. But he said, I bet they won't burn down the food stamp office in response to the Minneapolis, like, riots that directly occurred. And just so we're clear, white people set all that shit on fire. White people (laughs) set all that shit on fire. Not like, I have not seen it. No, no. Black people, from what I understand, set shit like, no, I don't think they set the precincts on fire. Anyway, so this man said that and I kind of responded and I was like this is racist I was very clear I did not say he was racist because he is but that's not what that post said <laughs> like I said this is racist and he was like then he tried to gaslight me he was like glad to hear from you Brie it's been uh, a minute and I was like it's been a minute because I don't fuck with you like that like that's why it's been a minute and then he said and also let me stop anyways let me co- just read what he said is this, um he said is this really racist comma when there's, there are looters, rioters, and of all ethnicities, and I'll say, yes, it's still racist, but anyway, he said, is there really, um, is this really a racist post, um, <laughs> when it doesn't say anything that is demeaning towards a certain ethnicity, do you even know what racism truly is, because if you think this is racist, you don't, God bless, and hashtag Trump 2020, I don't know, yeah, he said that. I was like, oh, hell. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> and so then I responded. I was like, do not gaslight me, period. Yes. Yes, all caps. <laughs> it is really racist to insinuate that SNAP, 
um, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is no longer titled food stamps. It's synonymous with the movement and protests about black lives. No amount of color um, coded language can hide that this is racism. I do know racism and I have plenty of time to talk about it today, so let's chat. You can, oh man, where did it go? I think I only sent Quinn half the screenshot, but I said something else that was really brilliant. Uh, but yeah, he did. He basically get that with yeah, that. He basically was politics yeah. of poverty and inequality knowledge. Snap. It's not saying. food stamps. Yeah, I was like, first classroom. of all, we not gonna demean these people. Oh no, no, no. This is what I found it. I said, um, I do know racism, and I have plenty of time to chat about it today. So, um, plenty of time to talk about it today. So let's chat. You can try to separate ethnicity from this, but I know exactly what you're trying to say. Do not hide behind the veil of ambiguity and all ethnicities because I have no problem articulating the issues with your post. And then some more people commented about Trump 2020 and then it came out that his uncle was racist. Like it really just turned into a Facebook free fall, which I think all Facebook is, is a hot mess. But anyway. sorry, why are white people crazy? Like, I don't know, but he was really popping off. And then Gracie Christopher replied and she was like, because I think, one of his friends tried to say that like my university of the south education just was not all that it was cracked up to be and i was like sir don't make me call Paige schneider like i will call her i will call her she will yell at you that's like a perfect example of you having to take your energy like he is being simply dumb like those statements that he's making are so harmful and not backed by fact but because they're so embedded into our cultural myths he can post that and not care and be like yeah, this is the truth. Or maybe he thinks it's a joke, whatever. But he knows that it's going to rile people up and people are going to read that and be like, yeah, that's true. Like this speaks to some greater truth. And so you're taking the time to like walk him through the ways in which what he's posting is racist. And instead of being like, oh, wow, you're right. Like that is a response that I needed to see. He's like, screw you. Like, Trump 2020. And it's just so frustrating because I feel like that's something that we see in this movie, especially with poopy pinata Chris. Like, granted, I'm really glad that at the end it like comes full circle and he's like, What do you need me to do? And she's like, I need you to leave and protect these other two black women. And he's like, Yes, I can do that. Like, sounds good. But it it just gets me riled up because Star is constantly having to educate everyone, whether it be her boyfriend or Haley or the grand jury, it like constantly falls on her to speak out on behalf of her people. And that's so hard. Quinn, what you were just saying made me think of, um, have y'all ever been in a class and they were like, part of it was like, have a conversation with someone that's different from you. Like, have y'all run at me? People (laughs) have to do that. And I'm kind of like, okay, yes. Like, like let's encourage like dialogue across difference, but like, not and that this is not attacking that office because I think that office is good but um awesome if you're uh, listening yeah I love you Cassie like this is not a dig dialogue across difference that would be a way to do it where it's like open and yes come and share your experience but like I've been in class where essentially where it's like like have this conversation with someone that is either like of a different identity from you and I don't know that like to me that that kind of speaks to what I don't know what Quinn you were just saying what Brie has touched on just like forcing people to share their lived experience without their consent more or less I mean yes you are asking for their consent I guess beforehand but that doesn't necessarily it should be in the case where like Brie you're you're wanting to share it on like you're offering to share it to this man on Twitter or Facebook because you yourself are like I want to be involved with this 
with your education and your unlearning, but not necessarily like me coming up to you and being like, oh, like, can we, I have this assignment for class. Can we chat? I don't know. This, this is not something I was thinking about when watching the movie necessarily, but it's something that kind of what you were just saying, Quinn, was provoked my thinking. Yeah. And it's kind of like at your expense, you're educating someone else. And it's like, what am I gaining from this interaction besides probably a few more haters on the internet? But like, it was really interesting, like posting it because not only did I have something to say, that was also, I had to make sure I came correctly. Like everything was overtly educated and eloquently written. And then I also think this is a point for white allies. Like there were people that felt really comfortable DMing me in support, but they like were like posting on that page was something that they just felt like they couldn't do. Mm. Like, I don't know. People like messaged me later and they were like, wow, you are so brave. Oh my gosh. Apologizing on behalf of um, this guy. Like, I can't believe that he would say these things. Like that was racist. Like just like validating what I was saying. And it's like, you can validate me all you want to, like, that's fine. I knew I was white, but like, just like, why, why are you so uncomfortable with checking other white men? Because that white men were also the people that messaged me. They were like, I just really want to reach out and let you know. And it's like, you don't have to let me know anything. Like, that's why I spoke up because I'm very like secure about what I know and what I have to say. Like what I need you to do is to say something to someone else that you know. I don't know that was really interesting but yeah well thank you for sharing your lived experience of course anytime (laughs) and sorry (laughs) for the times you've been asked to speak on behalf of the POC community it's okay anytime I feel like I've designated myself a spokesperson as well I have many (laughs) awards so it's completely like don't ask anyone else to do it but I will volunteer as tribute (laughs) in the theme of Hunger Games for Amanda Mm -hmm. we love you Rue we love you. Yeah, she didn't have to die. But let's get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> this book was written in 2017, or it was released in 2017, and the movie was released in 2018. But watching it last night, and I think we can all agree how similar it is to like the year that's happening 2020 it's almost like identical it feels like even the chants that they were doing during their protest were the same chants I did at a protest in my hometown and I was just like this is kind of sad it's been two years and it's like literally the exact same it feels like but I guess I wanted to pose the question do you think there would have been any differences if the movie was released this year and like What could you imagine the filmmakers changing based off of the two years differences? I think like when watching it, you know, the the phrase Black Lives Matter is never explicitly used um, because I think this year it recently has become like so like it used to be a controversial thing. Like people used to, you know, hate on Kaepernick and now everyone's all of a sudden like you know, supporting him. Give that man back his job. So I guess, like, that's what they need to do. Give him back his job. Correct. The NFL literally, and they need to pay him for the years in which he was out because of their rhetoric. Literally, because now they're like, we really just want to have a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. We're past talking. Burn that shit to the ground. Anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. Well, I guess it's just like, do you think if a if this movie was made in 2020, do you think they would like say Black Lives Matter? Do you think they would keep it the same? Like, 
I, I don't know. I mean, a lot can happen in two years, but also like, not really. This question kind of reminds me of, I listened to the Code Switch episode, A Decade of Watching Black People Die, and they brought on Jameel Smith, who I believe it was in 2015, wrote um, an article called What Does Seeing Black Men Die Do For You? And it's essentially talking about what we see in this film, which is like this underlying tension of, oh, you didn't record it? You didn't record this, you didn't record the death. What are we supposed to do with it now? As if constantly being bombarded with images of Black people dying is in any way shifting the public consciousness towards seeing them as more humanized when really it's just piling on trauma for the Black community. But that's a completely different topic. But watching this film, and obviously I cannot speak to the lived experiences of this movie, but it made me think of Jameel Smith's comment that he's like he wrote this article in 2015 and revisits it and reads it on air in 2020 and he's like the thing that's one of the things that strikes me the most is how similar this is like if anything the names that I write Trayvon Martin the names that he writes he's like that dates it because there have been so many since then that it's like looking at the name Mike Brown some people might be like, oh, I don't even know who that is because it's been so buried in the news cycle. Or like thinking about Sandra Bland, it's like, oh, well, I know about Breonna Taylor, possibly. And so I really think that watching this movie in 2020, I was like, yeah, I think that this is an ongoing issue. And it would be so nice. I wish that it was 2020 and we could watch this movie back and like think of it as a historical moment and be like, wow, those are the things that people had to go through to get where we are today. And we are in a place of love and peace and mutual understanding. But at this point, that is simply naive. Like the world is a shit show. Massive change needs to be undertaken. And watching this movie made me just want to literally burn institutions to the ground and be like, let's end this shit and just start over because shit is racist and wild out here. And, oh, I'm turning, I'm literally turning red. Yeah, watching it in 2020, I think that it's the same in a lot of ways. Oh, that was such a tangent. I just got sweaty. Yeah, I think the only thing you'd see different, I I mean, you see the phrase Black Lives Matter on a sign at one point. Um, I think it can be kind of, I don't know, maybe you would hear more, of it with a chant but I think like the I I agree with Quinn that like it isn't I wouldn't look much different there might be more masks because of the pandemic element of 2020 um but again you do see some masks because protesters know to wear them to protect themselves from tear gas so it was interesting because I was watching it the other night and I was like oh there's some masks like this doesn't even look that like it really doesn't look very different at all um, I think this movie could have been released in 2013, like following Trayvon Martin's death, and it probably would have looked very similar. Only because I feel like it's the same, like not the same story, because well, I guess we could move to like the first time we had a recording or like an instance where a young black man was killed by the police instead of like a neighborhood watch or like someone else I think um this film could have been released in 2020 or it could have been released in 2015 it could have been released at any point and I think we would have had a different or like a very similar experience and understanding from the perspective of this young black woman because I find often 
like in being on the internet now and like understanding like there also is or like from what I'm understanding from my Twitter feed and like social media there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with being black being a woman and being a part of a movement because I think I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter also just like how black women are and what I've seen titled three pandemics it's sexism it's racism and coronavirus are all like affecting one black community but then also there's sexism within the black community so I think we don't see star face don't necessarily see her facing sexism but I think if this film had been done in 2020 we might have seen the exact same energy from the community as far as like protesting on behalf of black lives but I also think it's really interesting that this narrative follows suit to like the death of a young black man in response to the community but not the death of like a young black woman and what the community does or like not even the death it doesn't even have to be the death of a young black woman but like the vulnerability of black women and how disrespected they are I think that is a change that I would have liked to see in this film but I don't think necessarily that there would have been any difference that filmmakers could have made for this story I think it's unfortunate but true that this is a very very accurate representation of 2018 but also of years beforehand and a very accurate representation of 2020. And I think people have to do better of being very intersectional with their portrayals in 2020 and from here forward. So like, if we're gonna speak about Black Lives Matter or even using the phrase or not using the phrase, shout out to Patrice Cullors, Opal, Opal Pometti and Alicia Garza for coining that term and like giving people the space to like identify but now I think it's really interesting that now the phrase has to be turned into all Black Lives Matter because it's just been assumed that like under Black Lives Matter we're only talking about Black men Mm -hmm. so I think in 2020 that's something that I'd want to see if a film like this were recreated but I also don't know if I would watch the film only because it's like really exhausting seeing like films like this made like I don't want to see another black struggle movie no matter how good the soundtrack is no matter who's in it like I just think when I watch films about black people it's always like well we made it in the hood we made it out we have this duality of living or there's always some form of trauma associated with it like there's never just like oh there's a romantic comedy these black people fell in love congrats like there's always some element of like trauma associated with blackness so if this film was made in 2020 yeah I think I'd want to see some intersectionality coming out of it and including like what it means to be also okay I think I'm going to go on a rant because I think um, Amanda she did an excellent job but I also would like to see what her experience would have been like as a darker skinned woman like just like understanding what it would have been like because she's very light skinned not that I'm saying that like she's white passing because definitely not but like I think there's an element of colorism that isn't addressed or the fact that like how jarring would it have been for viewers if she were dating this white man and she were like a dark-skinned woman like what would that have been like or what would the reception of that been like so I just think if in 2020 we saw this film we made I'd want to see some changes like that and also I'd want to see people sleeping in bonnets that's what I would want to see because she was asleep and have a single body on and I was like this is a lie this is a farce <laughs> like I don't see anyone's body on, so I don't know what's going on cancel the film but yeah that's what I'd want to see. Well, thank you so much. I feel like this has been a great conversation. Um, I think we want to leave our listeners with a few action items. And again, these are like bare minimum things to be done. So by no means is like 
working on being anti-racist ever like something that will ever be able to like check off and be like great done I'm inclusive like you constantly have to be working at it um but like a good place to start if you would like to call the Kentucky Attorney General arrests have still not been made in the Breonna Taylor case um that phone number is 502-696-5300 the Attorney General is Daniel Cameron so if you would like to call that office and demand justice for Brianna Taylor, sign petitions and donate to her family, please do so. Um, if you want to sign petitions, send letters to your government officials or emails. There are a lot of different policy initiatives that the NAACP is taking. So I encourage you to visit their website um, at NAACP.org. Um, specifically look at their We Are Done Dying campaign. Um, there are a lot of different ways to get involved that you can do just on your computer. Um, or you can write a, a handwritten letter to which, which goes a long way. Additionally, um, this is something I saw on social media today that I thought was really important. So if you're looking for, um, there are lots of organizations to donate to, but I noticed that Taraji P. Henson's um, foundation uh, is providing free mental health therapy for the Black community, um, particularly during the time of COVID-19, but especially um, kind of considering something we didn't touch on as much in the, about the movie was the, the trauma um, that Star goes through. I think Quinn touched on it briefly, but I think centering not only Black voices, but Black mental health is huge. So if you're looking to contribute to, there are lots of organizations that engage in this, but I encourage you to donate um, to the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Ways to get involved both financially and non-financially. Brie, do you want to send us out with a quote? Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? What are you up to? What's your Twitter? What's your Instagram? What's your tea? So I have two things. One, no, this is one A, okay. My Instagram and Twitter at BRE underscore corn, like the yellow vegetable, follow me, I'm funny. One B, if you watch the film, you will know that mac and cheese is a side dish, not a meal. Don't be putting breadcrumbs on that shit, it's weird, okay? Don't <laughs> do it, let me tell you, don't do that shit. I agree with Star. And her brother, Seven, side dish. It's widely known in the Black community. Side dish. Also, number two. Yeah, that was 1A1B. Two. I guess I can leave us with the quote from Tupac. May he rest. Thug life means the hate you give. Little infants fucks everyone. And I think that is especially true. Seeing all of these young people protesting. And especially seeing small children protesting. They deserve their innocence. So I think we as, I guess, adults or listeners or people with podcasts should do a better job of supporting them and protecting them and their innocence. Yeah, that's all I got. Thank you, Bree. Thank you for being here. Bye, bye. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll see you guys. Uh, I guess we'll hear you. No. You'll hear <laughs> us next week. We'll talk to you guys again. Talk to yes. you soon. This has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Bye.